Hello and welcome to another edition of Got the Runs, the podcast with all the sexual chemistry of an old woman and a time traveler from the future. <laughs> it's, well, she denies that there was any sexual yes, chemistry. In the sense so we don't have a sexual chemistry, but we do have a <laughs> deep and lasting inert. friendship. <laughs> Uh, we're off to a good start. We haven't recorded in a while, so uh, we're still trying to find our sea legs, I imagine. David, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> how how have you been? Let's let's just have a little little bit of catch up time. Oh. We, we haven't uh, we haven't futzed around in the first five minutes <laughs> as much as we usually do. <laughs> well, again, as someone who's been editing the episodes, I have to disagree. Um, but I'm good. I got, uh, as we were discussing, a new microphone. So if uh, you, the listener, have blood coming out of your ears currently, that's on me. And I'm sure we'll have that sorted out very soon. Yes, hopefully it will be a tribute to the band Snail Mail and your audio will be pristine. Um, but yeah, we're still... <laughs> you didn't seem to like that one. I'm going to press on. Uh, we're still c- coming to the end. I... You know, I feel like I made the same remark last week, but yes, we are trucking towards the end of uh, our Brian K. Vaughn miniseries. I, let's let's just start with this this existential consideration. <laughs> uh, do we need to rethink uh, the way that we cover comics? And because I, I do feel that this will be a short episode. We are talking about Paper Girls issues 11 to 20, uh, and... You know, I don't know how much I have to say about these 10 issues. Not that, like, they're terrible. I would have more to say if they were terrible, but, like, they're <laughs> they're fine, but aren't particularly, like, packed with things to talk about, I don't think. Well, Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, we'll see. Check in two hours from now, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll know the answer. But, uh, yeah, potentially. I did think to myself, so 10 issues, 10 standard size issues is pretty short. It might be the shortest that we've covered in a single episode so far? Question mark? To, Superman Adventures might have been pretty close. Um, but that one was, like, all almost entirely one-and-done stories that we could go through, like, literally one at a time, which makes it very easy to fill. <laughs> fill a little space and the the first episode you know like the first episode you cover a comic there's a lot more stuff to talk about we're talking about the broader context of the career and things like Mm -hmm. that whereas in episodes like these like you know we've done a a few of these by now where it's the second or third installment in a book and i feel like usually like there's less to talk about in terms of broader context and so we usually tend to dive deeper on the issues but like Mm -hmm. you compare this to why and we covered more issues of why at a time right but yeah we did although you, the last well but then again that was the finale but yeah the last episode we only covered 12 but we spent like a lot of time talking about like the plague we spent a lot of time talking about the finale um but yeah so this so paper girls was a weird one as i was saying and we were kind of talking about it a little bit before we started recording it doesn't like break as neatly into arcs i think as I was saying, I think there's five trades, um, and different from like how uh, Saga breaks down into like we know it's like six issue chunks. They're very like specifically designed into six issue chunks. I was reading in the back of the uh, second deluxe edition. There's a, actually with something we might talk about at length later. There's like a very detailed coloring process, uh, like bonus feature. 
and uh jared k fletcher no he's the letterer uh matt wilson who is the colorist like offhandedly talks about how like i like to use the same color palette for each five issue arc and i was like what (laughs) (laughs) like i'd not clued in that there were five issue arcs um so yeah i think if we had realized that it would have been easier to just do 15 and 30 but uh i couldn't remember if 15 was like a clean break point or not so i was like well i've got these deluxe editions they each break down into 10 i'm assuming those are structured like pretty neatly to uh you know end it at a logical point so we'll just do 10 10 10 but uh yeah who knows i mean in the near future (laughs) we're gonna be spending an episode on two works that total like 110 pages so (laughs) yes no spoilers for that we'll we'll see how that one turns out um i well i won't even get into that because it's a spoiler for our upcoming miniseries but i i was thinking that we could uh delve outside the uh the world of comics if you're game for that oh interesting you know what i'm talking about yeah i'm not opposed to it for sure i think that'll be a good episode so look out for that one you know Eight Our weeks comprehensive now. coverage of Howard the Duck coming very soon. Howard uh, the Duck, nineteen ninety. Uh, yes, of course. I was, I was holding up air parentheticals for those <laughs> who are listening through the audio format. Um, but yes, we we're talking about Paper Girls. It's by Brian K. Vaughn, Cliff Chang, Matt Wilson, Jared K. Fletcher, and then also a uh, D. D. Kniff. I'm going to pronounce that as who does the color flatting. Oh, yes, yes. Which, uh, did we talk about that last episode, the, the concept of color flatting? We talked, I think we, well, we talked a lot we about, about the with coloring Amelia, last, right? uh, no, no, we, well, we mentioned it a little bit. We did talk about in our last episode, the coloring in this book in particular, mm-hmm. fairly extensively. I think yeah. I might have like mentioned flatting in passing, but we didn't talk about it like in depth, no. Well, shout out to DKNF, certainly deserving of uh, some praise in that regard. Um, but yeah, so when we last left our heroes, we were, were in Apple World, is the way that I have it written here. Um, so we, we never really, let's, let's just start there. We never let's, really, like, uh, yeah. well, get an explanation for say, that. I think, so we're now, by the end of this chunk of issues, getting past where I have read previously, and I gotta say, I didn't remember a lot of what happens in this chunk of issues um, to begin with, but... Our primary complaint, I think, in the first part was the whole time travel piece is so, like, unexplained and also so, like, uninteresting. (laughs) And I think that this chunk of issues is both, like, it's not that it gives us answers per se, but, like, a slightly more cohesive picture is starting to form. But I also think it benefits a lot from the fact that, like, it kind of stops thinking about most of that stuff for like long stretches so like yes we're in like apple world right now there's like a bahamut worshiping a giant apple and over the course of this arc we kind of basically piece together that because there's like a folding in this area the like cave people have been like receiving the like technological detritus of history which is why they worshiped (laughs) apple but like the the larger role of Apple, like the <laughs> Apple Corporation, is still so unclear to me because I'm like, she she comes through and she says she works for Apple X, which like, is that a thing? That sounded familiar to me. No. Well, like, I mean, like, 
We're talking there... here of Dr. Bronstein, the inventor of time travel. She's, <laughs> yes. She guesses. She's not sure on that one, apparently. Yeah, I mean, like, there, it is, I think, a very, like, common piece of nomenclature to, like, append the X to, like, a tech company. Like, I think there's a Google, if there's not a Google X, then, like, there are teams like that within Google. Right. Like, the, like, the people that made Google Glass were, like, uh, if the not named team. Google X, then they were basically, like, a Google X team, yeah. Right, got it. But so I'm, like, I, I, well, I'm just, like, so is she, like... An a- she's an Apple employee, and, and now I'm like, is the adaptation going to Apple TV Plus? Because if not, I feel like they're <laughs> going to run. Just like I don't, I, I maybe it's debatable how like important and integral the like Apple iconography is, but I feel like it's pretty important, and <laughs> I feel like if they aren't able to use Apple, like the adaptation is going to suffer for sure. It is strange the extent to which. It is, like, about Apple and, like, features, like, I mean, like, a lot of it is, like, you know, satirical Apple products, which, like... (laughs) I mean, the iBeam is hilarious. (laughs) I laughed so hard. Did you you notice that it, like, has, like, the little, like, the magazine is, like, the charger, you know, how you (laughs) can, like, pop out the prongs? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It looks, it looks exactly like the, like, uh like macbook block charger but then it's just got like a little like extension with a right. grip <laughs> and like the USB-C port is like where the laser shoots out <laughs> right that's very funny um but yeah i mean like i don't know it just feels so strange to me i guess because like we are in a world where like corporate branding is such a thing even like in media and right. like I guess like it is commenting on that to some degree, maybe. Like they do have like like product placement and things like that, but like is it? Yeah, I'm I I think we'll get more of that uh in the final volume as we are kind of moving into the, the like far flung future in which this whole war thing originates. Um but yeah, I, it, so it's an it's going to be an Amazon TV show. I just have a yeah. hard time imagining Apple being like, "Yeah, it's chill. Like, go ahead and slap apples on everything." But um, yeah, I, I so I think this is part of the problem of it is that like as I think about it, I'm like, I guess you could like kind of put together a cohesive reading of it that where that makes it like about product placement and like media saturation. But then I'm kind of like, I I feel like you could make it like be about like almost anything <laughs> in terms of like, yeah, I think I think it's more so as we talked about in the last episode about sort of like nostalgia and how like it, it's it's not really even about technology. It's more about like intergenerational interaction in a lot of ways. Um but the fact that you can so easily kind of like there's there's just a lot going on, but a lot of it is not really like deeply explored. I guess is how I'd put it. Yeah, and that's almost like the when you talked about like intergenerational technological interaction, like that made me think of the private eye because there are like parts of that definitely that are about that. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to parse like I guess exactly. I'm also very bad at like I feel like reading comics and being like, well, this is about this. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's tricky too when you don't have the full like you know. I'm sure we can talk more deeply about the themes when we've finished the comic. <laughs> yeah, and but I also feel like that's like maybe a problem with the way that this is laid out because right. like because the nature of the whole conflict is such an overarching mystery to it, and like 
I it just doesn't feel necessary to per, to like structure it in that way for me. Like I would rather understand. I guess like part of it is sort of the idea of like they're thrust into these like very confusing situations and like they sort of have to deal with what's going on. But like if they understood and they're starting to understand and we get a more a pretty cohesive explanation uh, later on in this chunk of issues with um what is it Charlotte the yeah. old woman the um, cartoonist. Yes, and we will talk, we have things to talk about in that regard. Um, but yeah, we, we do get that that explanation, and they do sort of start to understand, like, they understand the idea more or less of, like, there being a folding in the area, mm-hmm. and, you know, all that stuff. Well, I think, though, that, like, there is still, like, an issue there insofar as, like, they don't really yeah, learn about 10 any... issues. <laughs> They don't really learn anything that we as readers don't already know. And I feel like we've run into this issue with Vaughn before as far as like dramatic irony is concerned, where it's like a character like lays out basically like the premise of the series for the main characters. And they're all like, whoa, what are you talking about? But as readers, it's like, yeah, like that's been pretty clear since like the third issue. And we're now on issue like 16 or 17 and you're explaining this. So... And yet, it's so, so, I don't know, I guess I'm like, so which is it? You want it to be a mystery for everyone, including the reader? Or you want, like, the reader to have a certain amount of dramatic irony where they understand what's happening more clearly than the main characters, and we're really just watching them kind of, like, go through it? And he's kind of walking the line between both, but it just starts to feel frustrating because, like, we learn these things that the characters have no clue about through these, like, cutaways, especially to to Grandfather, um who we learn a bit more about the origins of but like not enough that we can piece anything together but then like the characters are even further behind us so when they get information it's like yeah we know that and i like (laughs) if we have to have like another exposition dump can't we just learn it at the same time as the characters like it's almost more annoying that (laughs) we have to like wait for them to catch up yeah i think you're hitting on a big thing which is like the level (laughs) like the level of knowledge that we have is simultaneously like more than them, but I still don't feel like I know anything, which is maybe like the big, or it's not a big problem, but I think it is one of the problems with the book. And again, like I do feel bad a little bit because I feel like we have been quite negative on this. Like when I'm, when I'm reading these, I don't not enjoy them, but like the, the flaws become more glaring maybe when we've already been through like, um, Y and Ex Machina and stuff like that, like his like really big like what I would consider his sort of like canonically great books, and mm-hmm. you know we'll we'll talk maybe next episode about where we rank all of these books and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you when you get into books like that where it's like the strength is so heavily in the plotting, and you know obviously why like there is an overarching mystery element to it, which is never really resolved. No, and and we're on the same page as the character. Like we know what the characters, yeah, know literally for the most part. Pages in the book, yeah, yeah, got um, it. <laughs> yeah, and also like, and, and even like Machina, Brian K. Vaughn is also on the page. That's he's true. In it, <laughs> that's so true, King. Um, but yes, uh, let let's just let's just quickly shift to this. The start of issue eleven. Uh, one of the early scenes that we see is uh, Aaron and KJ. I think I. I did start to get a handle on the names of the characters. <laughs> um, 
But yes, and so, and Erin is reading the newspaper. Specifically, she's reading the comics. Mm-hmm. And the I wanted to <laughs> yes. talk about Erin's takes. Exactly. <laughs> um, the first thing she says is that she might like Crankshaft more than Calvin and Hobbes, which, like, we will get into that. And... Is it time for us to once again discuss the Funky Winkerverse? Or the... <laughs> Are you talking the, about how, like, fuck... Uh, the Winker we... Beaniverse? <laughs> yes, I am the talking Beano- about how... The Beaniverse. The, be- the Beanomatic Winkerverse. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this at some point very briefly because it was during the McLeod series. I, I can't do... remember what it was, but what we learned is that so Funky Winker Bean takes place, like, in real time, like, progresses in real time. Right. And then Crankshaft... It does not it's like it's, it's all stories about spin-off? but crankshaft is a, like yeah it's like a side character from funky winker forgot bean. About he's this. the high school bus driver for right. when for when funky winker bean was in high school he's now like in his like 60s but we get these like crankshaft comics still where it's like what was the bus driver everyone's favorite bus driver crankshaft up to in the 70s while like funky and the gang were at school <laughs> what, was he, what was he on about i'm in shock and borderline tears at seeing that a major storyline of crankshaft is that crankshaft reveals to his family that he cannot read oh hold on <laughs> <laughs> i i don't know i can like you're going on this path that's like a very that's a very 90s thing is like someone revealing that an adult revealing that they cannot read well yeah the continuity section of the crankshaft wikipedia article as a whole is uh, a bit of a trip and also at the at the time that at the time that they would have been living crankshaft would be a new comic right like uh it so it debuted yeah it debuted in 1987 so crankshaft yeah crankshaft, crankshaft has year a one. year's worth of strips to its name a little over a year um and calvin and Hobbes, i'm not sure how much older that would be yeah um just keep clacking on that old computer as loud as you can yeah, i will so, thank you started in 1985 so yeah so maybe it's just the the novelty of Crankshaft <laughs> is really uh, is really getting to her. So I have next to no memory of like the. Did we only get Crankshaft in the the color comics as they were known to us? No. Sometimes they might known as like the uh, Sunday Funnies. Now you have me second guessing. I thought it was a daily strip. I only really remember Crankshaft just driving that bus. Yeah, like, no, it's daily, daily and Sunday, and I'm pretty sure we did get it daily. Yeah, I, I truly could not tell you anything that happened. Oh, like I cannot tell you one character other than Crankshaft. I know, like his kids are in it. He sure. like lives with his kids or something. Um, Crankshaft pl- played for the Toledo Mudhens, which are the Detroit Tigers AAA affiliate. I do oh, yes. vaguely recall that. Yes, he's on the bowling team. That came up a lot. I remember. Yes. They were always going bowling. It was just like, wasn't it great being in your 60s in the 70s? I guess. But it's like, I I always, like, as a child reading Crankshaft, I was always like, isn't this, like, kind of sad? And I guess, like, it is meant to be a very, like, blue-collar, like, realistic depiction of, like, of life. But, like, I'm like, isn't it kind of sad that, like, 
crankshaft's so old and he's still driving this bus? I mean, I guess. I kind of think about, like, so we did, I never took, like, the school bus to school, but, like, I do remember, like, in high school, we had, like, a Korean war vet who was, like, the commissioner. He might have been there still when you were also at that high school, which was a few years after me. Uh... Mr. Jollyworth, something like that. <laughs> That's not real. It, um, is, it I, is real. I was not privy to the status of the school bus commissioner. Or so he wasn't. He wasn't a school bus driver, but he was. Or what like, armed conflicts he had served <laughs> yeah, in? He, he, he. I know from our memory remembrance day assemblies that he was a veteran of the Korean War, and he had like a real crankshaft type energy in that he was like kind of grumpy old <laughs> and like always around the school but we were never like what's this guy doing around the school he just was like there and i can it was easy for me to like kind of conceive of crankshaft i think because of that yeah there does seem to be some level of like some like running melancholy through crankshaft i guess like well funky winker bean is like yeah a, i guess so it, yeah it's like a tragic comedy or like a dramedy i guess is how i would characterize it where like it is very much in the vein of sort of like a, a for better or for worse type where it's like, yeah, typically it's going to be like kind of a lighthearted slice of life strip with like a funny little punchline. But then like every so often they would do like an issues sort of like oriented, like ripped from the headline type thing or like some sort of like very character rooted thing where it's like, oh, a beloved character has like died of, you know, something. So, yeah, it definitely has has a bit of that, like, dramatic edge or side to it. There's, I'm just, I'm, I'm again, this, the, what did you say, the, the funky-matic? The beanomatic winkerverse? <laughs> yes. Uh, a wonderful turn of phrase that I must congratulate you on. But yes, like, thank you. It, it even says on Wikipedia that it sort of has, it's been recast into a serialized drama. Though most strip strips still feature some humor, often based on wordplay. <laughs> I believe I believe that they like did a big time skip and it was like after that they were like and now it's like a serious like a Rex Morgan type. I guess Rex Morgan was more of like a soap <laughs> opera, but that really is our one reference point because I also <laughs> I also thought of Rex Morgan and the it was just like our one reference point for like a dramatic newspaper comic. A serialized like comic that had like a story that carried over like day to day i now i will say i have read a lot now of um modesty blaze which is like uh, a 60s like spy thriller strip uh which is extremely good and it has like being exposed to a non-rex morgan uh <laughs> like non-humor daily gag strip uh has improved my view of it the concept quite a bit uh it probably also helps that the art is incredible which you know i'm sure i'm sure the beanomatic winkerverse has some competent art um but uh, but yeah by and large i like i like some laughs with two f's from my <laughs> my cartoons yes. we love a laugher um uh, we we can get off of crankshaft because we and still, on to kathy yeah we do still need time for kathy um but i just wanted to point out this one portion of the wikipedia article Negative reaction to a 2007 strip featuring Wally getting blown up by an IED, brackets, brackets. <laughs> which turned out of the next strip to be him playing a computer game. 
included two papers that ran the strip receiving irate phone calls and letters to the editor and led to Batyuk, the the cartoonist, Batrock, you might say, mm-hmm. issuing an apology soon after the strip ran, which is just very good. <laughs> Taking back the death by having it be a computer game is just a great bit. True. Um, but yes, the other thing, I mean, we don't need to litigate Calvin and Hobbes. I think everyone, if you haven't read Calvin and Hobbes, then like, I don't understand how you got into comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm prepared to go to bat and say that I prefer Calvin and Hobbes to Crankshaft, but I, f- I do feel like nobody's going to say that they like Crankshaft better than Calvin and Hobbes, like for the clout. <laughs> <laughs> even even as like a contrarian, like that's not that's not the cool comic to be like. You know what I actually think is better than Calvin and Hobbes? That mainstream overhyped piece of trash crankshaft <laughs> like, right so i respect sort of the uh the the integrity to admit like hey listen sometimes i just like to see him cranking that shaft mm, uh, interesting. i'm blowing right by that um, but yes kathy um yes kathy just etc just a very funny thing to what's talk that about? tweet that you had that was kathy oriented the only huge act man that we recognize in this house is me the number one kathy super fan right that's right <laughs> um i'm very proud of that tweet uh but yes kathy do we have anything to say about kathy i feel like she i already not... said what i have to say about kathy which was act <laughs> <laughs> right she's i feel like kathy is not invoked enough as like a punchline like, I feel like she could easily be, like, in the pantheon of, like, things that just people just bring up because they're funny. Yes, a Nancy type. Have, you ever, did, have I recounted that 30 Rock joke to you? I think so, but do repeat it for the sake of all listeners. <laughs> this is, like, a great segment where I just tell other jokes. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, basically, this episode of 30 Rock revolves around the idea that like uh there's like an anonymous quote in the new york times about the show tgs and um and like liz lemon was the one that gave the quote but like is trying to conceal that fact from everyone um and then there's a part where tracy uh comes up to her and is like liz like i saw what you i like i saw what you said in the paper and she was he was like no like that wasn't me like what are you talking about and he's like no in the comic strip like Kathy said exactly what you said the other day. <laughs> it just cuts to it just cuts to Liz and she goes, chocolate, 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 ah. <laughs> and it just really tickles me. Uh, yes. It is it is unfortunately quite easy to beat up on Kathy. Uh but it's, it's like so just we, too fun to do it. <laughs> are we ready to reclaim Kathy as like a feminist icon? I don't I don't think we are. So I don't think we are either. And I am reading here that Andrea is Kathy's feminist foil and best friend whose role was reduced in the later years. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny to just have like to have the receipts of like the feminism was reduced. <laughs> But let's let's press on now that we've covered that one yeah. page. Now that of... we've done the yes, the cartoons corner, um, both with K's. Shout out to Her- Sherman's Lagoon uh, and Hagar the Horrible. <laughs> I, I forgot about Sherman's Lagoon. I kind of like the way that Sher- Sherman was drawn. You know, those, it was those... it was a bit of a like Flintstonesy type mm-hmm. thing in terms of the like. He's really just like a modern man, but like recontextualized through this 
you know, crazy yeah. frame, which is they're a modern shark. <laughs> they're a modern shark age family. Yeah. Um. But yes. Uh. So what happens in these set of issues? We counter. Well, so here, uh, let's. I'm going to try my hand at the quick summary that we have discussed Ooh. doing in recent episodes yes. as we near minute thirty. <laughs> wow! Come on, this is all gold. Not, if, well, I, it's certainly all golding in the cutting room trash bin what much of it okay no, anyway shout out to ellie golding yeah shout ellie out to Skrillex. um okay so they have found themselves in it's like eleven thousand bc uh where they are soon separated by an attack by this like badger thing aaron and tiffany meet a young cave woman uh, who after they get translator on her they learn has a baby by three cavemen who want to reclaim the baby she is determined not to let them do that the baby's name is Joppo. um kj and mac get swept down a river by their encounter uh they kind of try and like fumble their way through the forest and stumble upon not a uh what were what were those things called editrix something like that yeah that's right um but a similar cousin kj touches it and gets a few glimpses of a possible future which includes her kissing mac they are eventually able to reunite uh and oh and there of course the dr brownstein who we alluded to earlier is also in the area the inventor of time travel uh they have some further misadventures rescuing her from the three cavemen who then get their hands on Joppo and after some convincing Dr. Brownstein helps them then uh also rescue Joppo uh basically buying the argument that like he could be one of our ancestors as we will later learn he is in fact grandfather the leader of the old timers in in a <laughs> confusing turn of events that i haven't quite worked out yet <laughs> and a shocking so, twist yeah uh and, and i'm also so like as we mentioned they're they've got like as a the, the the like detritus of technological history like falling through these foldings and also like the three cavemen are acting at the behest of something or someone i think we can presume that that is some kind of like uh attempt at like you know shooting hitler in the cradle type thing like that someone's trying to get them to kill joppo before he can become grandfather um but joppo's mother is also like recognizes the four paper girls as dream girls so there's some indication that they have in some way communicated with her possibly yet to be revealed question mark the long and the short of it is that uh dr brownstein is left behind in the year eleven thousand something they're trying to get back to her time machine to return to her time so that they can send help but uh, it has already locked and the ensuing warp takes them instead to the year two thousand okay uh, I'm, I'm gonna i'll stop you there and we can talk about this chunk of issues okay um <laughs> great quick plot summary thank was... you it was under five minutes, so I congratulate you on that. Now, are these, are the three guys, the, one of, probably the most confusing part of this set of issues for me uh-huh. was these three guys, one of whom seems to be more in charge somehow. Yeah, he's got a power symbol. Yes, they, he has a power symbol drawn on his chest, and he wears, like, an astronaut helmet. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was going to be some kind of reveal there where, like, because, that he's like somehow from the future, yeah. That he or that he just that he is like someone that we recognize or something like that. 
which is not the case. Um, one element that you did not mention is that KJ kind of like freaks out and kills this guy by like bashing his face in, uh, which feels like, you know, something of a turning point for her. And like, everyone is kind of like, whoa, but these guys, are any of them the father of the baby? Yes. I, I At least that's what we are led to believe. Okay. Um, no further questions. I, <laughs> I just yes. don't understand what the deal is there exactly. I'm like, I, yes, like they are, they seem to be being influenced by something like they have like techno mind virus or something. Mm-hmm. But I just, I could not, I could not track any of that. And then like, they are probably like whisked away with no further explanation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So what Joppo's mother says, I think she has a name, but I cannot remember it. Um, I was also trying to remember it. <laughs> she says that it took three men to father Joppo because he's like so special or something. Mm. And yeah, so it's not clear to me, like, does that mean one of them is the father? Does that mean there's some sort of like, you know, given the whole time travel grandfather of it all, is there some sort of like something else going on <laughs> there in some is way? Is it a quadruple? Like, <laughs> it, it clearly is not because she uh, is not interested in being part of whatever they've got going on. Um, Yeah, it, it's like something that I think we'll get some more answers about. What did you think of the reveal? I guess we don't technically get that until a little ways into the next chunk of issues, but what did you think about the reveal of Grandfather as Joppo? It kind of goes back to sort of what we've been talking about over the course of this. And I think, like, to the same degree, like, these weird power button guys are also a reflection of it to some degree, where it's like, sure. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, like, that's, like, that's kind of interesting that, like, he, like, this guy who is sort of, like, the arbiter of time is actually, like, from the far past. And it's like, he is, like, He's not the first man, but, like, I like that idea sort of of, like, mm-hmm. that, like, the oldest man of them all becomes, like, the arbiter of right, time. the leader sort of. of the old timers. Yeah. And so I did find that element of it interesting. Again, like, it's just, without knowing the full context of what's going on, it just becomes, like, that kind of stuff tends to become noise for me, where it's like, right. yeah, like, okay, so, like, ye- that's interesting, I don't know, like, what it means, and I don't know, like, what they're going to do with it in the future, like, how that will come into play in any way. Um, another thing that comes up is that Dr. Bronstein's, um, her, like, whatever, her her eye thing <laughs> tells yes, her, her that... Eye, her eye beam, or her <laughs> eye sir. Is that her, supposed yes, to be a her... Siri joke? I Oh, I guess so, yeah. I There's so many... The It's crazy that He's still making, like, Apple jokes in, like, 2017 or 2018. Yeah, these were published in 2017 to 2018, this chunk of issues. And it's just crazy to me that it's like, yeah, you know, actually, like, with Apple, it's kind of like they just put an eye in front of something and then, like, it's an Apple thing, you know? Like, it's just crazy to me that he's, that they're still making that joke. And it's like, I guess the eye, sir, is something, but... If yeah, I, I guess. If I said to you, like, the I, sir, you would just be like, that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would in fact say that. Um, yeah, I, I did briefly think, like, is this from before Siri? But then I was like, no, 
because she was born in 2016. Oh, and she, you mean the comic. Yeah, yeah. No, Siri's been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, but what what I was getting to is that they she says that they are like approaching because there is this sort of climactic moment where the baby is essentially like being put on an altar for sacrifice. Right. But you know, it's really because they want to like bring the baby into the future, right? No, I thought it. I thought it was well. I, yeah. Again, this is a maybe we'll find out. My interpretation of that was the like teenagers faction is somehow manipulating the the three cavemen to kill Joppo as a baby because it seemed like they were about to like cave his head right, in with the right, right. an early axe yeah um the stone but... implement <laughs> um that reminds me of uh oh, there's something that they say in wrestling where it's like to just describe like a chair yeah for, or it's like like well because like triple h famously uses a sledgehammer but i feel like there's like there's just i remember one specific thing where it's like they couldn't say the word for it so it's like he's using that implement <laughs> and like there was a part with that uh, do you know about the fiend bray no. wyatt um he's just like a crazy guy mm-hmm. um and so there was one and so like, that seems I'll... to be a lot of uh the, their <laughs> sticks what if a guy was crazy the fiend is like a he's like a supernatural character uh-huh. um and he has like he has like a very heavy horror theming to him um mm-hmm. and so there's one match where sort of like the build-up was that at one point his opponent was like doused with blood essentially but they didn't call but they couldn't call it blood so they should be like I believe it was Randy Orton. It's like, Randy Orton, he's covered in that red goo. (laughs) And it was like very clearly blood. Some sort of biological substance. Precisely. Um, I don't remember why I started talking about that. but I called the the axe a stone implement, yes. Anyways, yes, yes, I thought that they were trying to assassinate Joppo in the cradle. And I did, I do have a very difficult time understanding what is happening in these books. Well, but you're... You also could be right, too, because they are right in front of the folding. But my well, interpretation yes. of it was that they are, like, receiving, like, communication through that somehow. That is what I wanted to get to, which is that the the ICER says that they are approaching the last folding. And so that that's something. <laughs> but truly, it's like, it's it's another case of where it's like, that's something. I, I It's the last folding. That, that must be important. But we don't know what that is or what that entails. Like I can kind of like imagine what it might be where it's like, Oh, like this is the last folding. So like, maybe like, it's like, that's what they're bringing grandfather through. Like there's a connection there, but I can't really like, it's, it's either me trying to like parse out what they're sort of going for, or it's just me being like, I have no idea what's going on. And I just sort of have to sit and wait for more information to come out, which is like, I don't know. It it just this doesn't feel like the kind of book that should be revolving around a grand mystery to such an extent, especially when like so much of it in my opinion like the strength of the book and I think what many people latched onto the book for what they like is either like the retro futuristic aesthetic I think is a selling point for people like and like it's more it's more prevalent in the letters page than it is in the <laughs> book itself like when you have like uh Rita Pearl the news girl um I don't know if you were keeping following the uh, the letters pages in the back but mm-hmm. 
there's a great moment uh, in the the next arc where Rita Pearl becomes like two, the year two thousand themed, <laughs> um, and she's wearing like a crop top, <laughs> and uh-huh. it's very funny. But yeah, so I think like that sort of like the retro futurist and like the the amalgamation of different aesthetics from different time periods. I think that is definitely a selling point for people, which it goes back to like the first issue where you have like the like futuristic knights riding on pterodactyls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the design work is definitely a strong point. I think Cliff Chang's art on the whole is a selling point for the book. Um yeah, it's interesting because before we started rereading it, this was a series that I thought of very fondly and was kind of like, this is one of the stronger sort of like non-canonical entries into the like the the Vaughn bibliography. And now rereading it, like as you're saying, like it's not like it's bad by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I, I, I kind of am like, maybe it's just that the only other thing running at the time was Saga, which I have kind of like aired my frustrations about. And I sort of was like, not desperate, but I was, I was definitely interested in having like a non-Saga Vaughn experience. So that maybe put like a little bit of bloom onto the rose for me. I also am trying to remember what it was like following this book month to month, because like, even like the, the Joppa reveal, which comes like a few issues later, I I feel like if I was reading it monthly, would I even remember who that is? Like, because it's not like they say his name all the time. And, and like, it's a fairly subtle reveal. But I, I think that, like, being where we're at right now, sort of approaching the end of the Vaughn miniseries and having talked in depth about so many of his works, it's just, like, it's very interesting to see how what at the time was, like, sort of a breath of fresh air. To look at it now kind of has, like just so many of like the Vaughn sort of tropes that have become familiar and like possibly even grating when you read like all of his work at the same time. Like he wouldn't, I wouldn't have characterized him as a guy who really like goes back to the same well a lot other than the sort of like trivia factoid sort of quippy type dialogue that we've talked about many times, but just like even this chunk of issues starting off with like a weird portentous dream and not the first time I'm like, have we read a single Vaughn comic yet where like weird <laughs> portentous dreams weren't like a huge thing in it. And uh, yeah, it's, it just, it can be quite frustrating to read at times where it's like, he's getting on a roll. He's doing good stuff. Um, especially with like the four key girls. And then it's just like, My and now it's Toy time Story for four character. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Forky. <laughs> Sorry, continue. And then he'll just be like, and now it's time for like three pages of Grandfather again. Now it's time for like more of the teenage ninjas speaking their like dialogue that like a translation key has not even been provided. So even if you did care to look up what they're saying, you can't. It's just a full page of them with no like additional like context really. Um, yeah, it, it, it just like the, the amount of time that he spends going away from it to pursue either this mystery that you're talking about or just sort of like, I don't know, we're like splitting the girls up, which sometimes is good because they get focused. But then I'm like... I don't know. It feels like we've been a long. It's been a long time since we had anything for Aaron, uh, who is sort of like the main character at the very beginning. But mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, it, it it is surprising to go back to it and find that it feels very disjointed in a lot of the writing. But I think a lot of what makes it so readable and entertaining is Cliff Chang's work uh, and 
Matt Wilson's work and Jared K. Fletcher's work. And like, it's very visually striking. The designs are really good. Um, yeah, I, I think they keep this book sustained through the parts that are a little bit tougher to get through from sort of like a writing perspective or a little bit more frustrating from a writing and narrative perspective. Yeah. I, I, I should mention like the, the 11,000 BC woman, I really like her aesthetic. It's sort of like, I don't know if you have any familiar with like horizon zero dawn. Um, but that's a game. That's a PlayStation game that is set like basically like after like the fall of humanity. And so it's like a combination of like not stone age but like very like retro technology and then also like there are like technological animals that like roam the wilderness and things like that and like that is like very like i really like that aesthetic and her she is very in tune with that aesthetic where it's like she is like has like a lot of cave woman styling but then you have like the symbols that are like painted on her face and she also has this necklace which is like a tech a tech necklace a techless if you will uh which i think is cool um, but to your point, like, yeah, I think that sort of what, what I was driving at was that, like, I think the things that the people that people like the book for are so rarely what is being depicted in the book, because, like, I think that's, like, the retrofuturist elements to some extent, and the, like I said, like, that, that amalgamation of different aesthetics and sort of remixing um, different aesthetics... But then also, like, from a from a plotting or, like, a narrative perspective, I think the big thing is, is like, the characters. And, like, I when I sort of heard about this book, I was very excited to read it because it was, like, well, I didn't, initially didn't even know that it was, like, a sci-fi fantasy book. And I thought it would be... Basically, like, I was imagining a Buffy when I was... When I heard that it was going to be a sci-fi fantasy book, I thought it was going to be more of, like, a Monster of the Week kind of setting where it's, like, they are, they are in they're like you know they're in their paper girl life which is being intruded on by these like outside forces and you know i guess part of that is like can i really begrudge a book for not being like the thing that i imagined that it would be and would Mm -hmm. want it to be (laughs) and it's like i I suppose not but also like doesn't that feel like a better vehicle to like get across those elements of the book that people want to read about like wouldn't that give you better opportunities for characterization if like 50% of the book or even like 50% of an arc was devoted to like what they're doing at school like Mac wants to she's gonna fail the test (laughs) which is like you know that's that's obviously very trite like I'm not maybe Mm -hmm. the writer that Brian K. Vaughn is (laughs) but like I I would I would be interested in seeing those that side of the characters and I would be interested in seeing them interact more about like those more mundane things because like like that moment when they're talking about newspaper comics i think is a really strong moment and like the strength is in their interactions and so like it doesn't matter what they're necessarily they're interacting about like that's going like that's like you've got that (laughs) that's a a strong foundation regardless of what you want to talk about and so like you're saying like it just is very surprising that like and also sort of that he would not see that when that is so like in his wheelhouse and so his forte that he would then be like, well, like I've got to get in supply. <laughs> and it's like, I truly, I wish there was less plot and I, maybe I, maybe <laughs> or, I don't. Or just more issues so that there was space to balance those things. Maybe. Yeah. But it's also like, I guess like they do spend five issues in this sort of past time and it's like, did I love it? 
not entirely. And again, like, it's just strange to me because, like, it did feel like the pace did slow down and that, you know, it's it almost took on a uh, a saga, a saga thing where once they get to the new place, then, like, they can slow down a little. They're sort of, like, establishing this new place and they're having those interactions and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it just did not work as well for me as it did in Saga because it, and maybe just because it felt like it was trying to serve too many masters at the same time, which is also a problem I have with Saga. But like, it just, it never felt like even when it was slowing down, that it was slowing down to focus on the things that I wanted, like, to get out of it or like the things that I liked the most about it. And again, like, right. maybe that's just a me thing. But like, are there people who really love the plot of this book? <laughs> uh, that I'm not clear on. Uh, you perhaps as a letter letter hack for this uh, series might have a sense of what people were saying. But I'm more it's, skimmed. Mm, it's it is funny because we talked about um, in the last episode the sort of obvious point of comparison with this and Stranger Things. And how interesting it is, at least to me, that this predates Stranger Things. And yet, in a way, I'm like, it seems like it could have learned some lessons with Stranger Things, which will table the, like, plot, which is a similar sort of, like, sci-fi mystery, uh, you know, all that jazz. It will be largely set aside so that we can just, like, spend time with the characters. Now, there's, like, three seasons already of that, and... uh, who knows how many issues of a comic that would translate to but that has always felt like something where it's like maybe maybe it will it would have benefited from not like being so predictive uh, and and so like ahead of its time in a way uh by like beating stranger things to the public it, that like kid to kid dynamic that mm-hmm. You know, Stranger Things is very consciously trying to capture in a sort of like, you know, Goonies and um, et cetera type feel. And it may just be that that Vaughn isn't trying as explicitly to sort of like recreate that sort of feeling or that sort of vibe. But I do think that that's kind of what's missing. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just scrolling through the, some of the letters here just to try and get a sense of like what gets talked about. And it is like most of what gets talked about are like, Either people will be like, yeah, like, I used to be, like, a paper boy. Like, this is, like, my story and, like, all this stuff. Or, or it'll be, like, people talking about... <laughs> this, this is my story of how I, too, was caught in an intergenerational time yeah. war. Or or it'll be, like, people will be like, oh, like, I remember, like, because, like, because it is sort of styled in this, like, there's, like, Rita Pearl, the news girl, and there's also, like, PD, who is the, like, 80s version of, like, the the, the letters column does some time jumping as well. Um, right. But so a lot of the, the letters will be, like, oh, like, people will be, like, sort of writing in character, like, from the 80s and being, like, oh, like, I just watched the A-Team, and then, like, I heard about this contest, and so, like, I wanted to write in, like, talk to mm. you, PD. And so, like, there's a lot of that, and so it's, like, that does seem to be what's resonating with people is both like the 80s nostalgic element and then also like this like camaraderie between the characters that feels very real and feels very realized and that is like what is resonating with people and so yeah it's just it's just confusing like i won't i won't repeat myself there but Mm -hmm. it's strange and like and again like maybe we can move on to the next arc where we start to 
get a little bit of like the the particulars of the situation but <laughs> do you want to tackle this summary or is it uh, falling to me um okay so how how does this start <laughs> <laughs> okay so they are warped hold to on, the year 2000 new, well new year's eve 1999 yes uh, and they are separated yes in Stony Stream, Ohio, which is where they came from, Their right? hometown. Yes, yep. I, obviously. Um, I just really feel so unsure about, like, all the particulars because it's always, like, they're moving around and they're in different places and different times. But, yes, they... So, they are it, back in Stony Stream in the year 2000. And the big thing is that, like, ostensibly Y2K has happened or, like, in the way that it was talked about where, like, all technology is shutting down and, like, there's a power outage. But then also what is happening is that Tiffany and only Tiffany can see this robot battle that is taking place above the city between the uh, the old timers and the teenagers. They're basically like in these like mecha, like classic Transformers or Gundam style mechs and are doing battle above the city. And I guess we find out that the other people can hear it but not see it. Is that right? Yeah, basic. They're like cloaked, but you know they're still there they're still they're not like in another dimension or something they like you know the the cop car at one point crashes into the foot of one of them uh one of them falls down and like crushes several houses so yeah they can be heard and they they like chris who will uh discuss shortly i'm sure at one point remarks that someone's like blowing off uh like fireworks because they can hear the sounds of the battle and so the group is everyone together minus Tiffany? Is that right? Yes, that's Tiffany, right. Tiffany gets picked up by a cop car, which, like yeah, you said, then... she ends up outside Applebee's for some reason, and yes, is immediately arrested. The cop car then crashes into the foot of one of these robots, and she is forced to run away. Um, meanwhile, the rest of the group meets Charlotte, who is this woman who has been expecting them because she knows about all these foldings, because in the 50s, she met with one of the teenagers and has become like, she she describes him as like a big fan of uh, of the the intergenerational war uh, and has, has all this research on them and is acting basically like as an agent of some description because what what she explains is that the foldings can only like be perceived by the people who are living within that time. Is that basically what she's getting at? Yeah, they have to be like detected at the moment that they occur right so basically she is like an agent who attempts to pass this information on through frankie tomato <laughs> the comic that she draws please tomato uh, tomato tomato <laughs> <laughs> oh. can't believe that happened in real life um <laughs> and then she she then tries to shoot them because i guess because they are they know too much yeah and also like because like they like if they're too valuable in a way where it's like if the old timers get to them then like that will be trouble so she should is going to kill them to like basically ensure that the old timers can't get them yes which they then escape from meanwhile tiffany goes to her old house and meets chris who is uh she's described as a vampire or he is described as a vampire at one point which I think is a, a reasonable description of him, <laughs> who is like he's a classic, uh, like late '90s goth, uh, who is Tiffany's future husband, 
Much to her dismay. <laughs> yes, much to her dismay. And then we later meet future Tiffany, who is also like similar. Like I would describe her aesthetic. She also has like an amalgamation of time periods, perhaps. But <laughs> I'd say her aesthetic is like raver, kind of like she has, yeah, like cyber goth. Yeah, she has like orange dreads and like wears leather. Future, I guess, or two Y two K Tiffany is attacked by some of these, like, cyber ninjas as well. And then also what's happening is that there's this cleanup crew that is sort of, like, their job is, like, to do the Men in Black Neuralizer and, like, replace everything and, like, return everything back to normal. So there are these, like, drones that are sweeping the city in order to, like, mind white people. And also, like, there's we we have a good... There's a great uh, scene at one point where we see, like, a bunch of drones, like, drop in a cop car... (laughs) <laughs> um, which I liked, and then they all end up in a church, and Charlotte shows up, and everyone's fighting, and they all get shot. Yes, she. So they they get accosted by some old timers. So what we have left out is that in the course of the battle, so this is also where it starts to get a little confusing. A like in between aged Joppo is there. Like coordinating the battle. He looks like he's probably in sort of like his 30s. Previously, we have seen Grandfather as an old man. But here he's looking a little bit more spry. And in the course of the conflict, his second in command slash... That's not his mother, is it? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The prioress who is like... Oh, yes. Someone who is quite quite close to him in some capacity uh, is killed. And so he orders a quite aggressive uh, counterattack against the teenagers, um, which leads to a bunch of old-timer soldiers being sort of out and about. They are threatening the girls. Charlotte shows up, domes them... (laughs) And then is subsequently turned into ash. But is is she because like they kind of have like a set phases to stun situation, right? Oh, Don't she they? looked pretty dead to me. I, but I, I I feel like one person gets stunned and then she gets atomized. Chris, yeah, Chris gets like time dislocated back to like a processing center or something oh, like that. Right, right, right. Um, but she gets like straight killed. Yeah, and so yes, like you said, like I think we're meant to take the like this is like. A very early edition of the conflict. So uh, the the girls eventually get their hands on one yes, of the teenagers, the... like models, and Tiffany. Both Tiffany's together are able to use it to warp them out of two thousand uh, into the far flung future. At which point, we learn that the old timers are not allowed to travel to the future, and are going to wait basically for. Uh, the return of these people so that Joppo can get his revenge, which oh, I, I guess is what leads to the battle of Stony stream in the eighties, like that original night where we see old grandfather, like coordinating things. See my, I, I know it to, my reading of it was like, Oh, like because they're in the future, then like we can just, we like, we just have to wait. And then eventually we will be in the same year as them. Yeah, but they're they're from like the year like where do they end up at the end of this like the year like seventy thousand A.D. Like oh, I don't they, think they don't say. All we see like we just see like a flying train and like some crazy sci-fi buildings. We I don't think we are yet given right. the information as to when they actually end up. My understanding is so 
Dr. Bronstein says that she invented time travel. She was born in 2016. The time travelers are, are the, the old timers are the first generation after time travel was invented who made up like the regulations for right. time travel. And then the teenagers are their future descendants. So I got the impression that they were far enough into the future that they couldn't just like literally wait. Right. You might be, you're, you're probably right. Um, it's great that we have to have these discussions like every ten minutes about what ex- because this well is... because we and because we see old grandfather in the eighties right right but yeah this is when we get the first like the first look at or the first understanding or explanation of exactly what is going on which again like we can kind and of... we haven't talked about just what is going on here yet well I I I. Uh, excluded that segment. We can't talk about uh, the cover of issue eleven, which I do like a lot. Um, she, it's the. I I really feel like we should know Wari her name. Is her name? It's of course Wari. Uh, she's going wah, uh, <laughs> and she's in some foliage. Uh, it's a cool cover. And I'm reading here that Elon Musk has been cast to portray her in the TV series. But yeah, so like you said, you, you we we get the. We get the layout of we get the lay of the land a little more, where it's the the old timers discovered time travel and they made a rule that like no one should interfere with the past, and then the teenagers are like no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the teenagers yeah I think I think with it probably what is the case is that the old timers don't know. Uh, well, it, we explicitly hear they don't understand or know why the teenagers have decided to break those rules. I think perhaps we will again learn a bit more about that um, because they are forbidden from traveling to the future themselves, and we only ever see the cutaways really of grandfather. We occasionally will get teenagers, but again, they're speaking in their language, which is not translated. Um, and even then, that's for very short clips. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just rereading uh, this the section where Charlotte kind of like gives a bit of an exposition dump, mm-hmm. where she says, "Yes, that those boys were brave enough to defy their ancestors, risking everything to traverse the fourth dimension and set right what once went wrong." The old timers paint them as some kind of time changing hedonists, but in reality, they're more like the noble Doctor Sam Beckett of Quantum Leap. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Which sure, and and you're right that uh, it, they, she does say seventy thousand A.D. is where right. the teenagers have have come from. So you are right in that respect, um, and no other. So, <laughs> so yes, this this ends with them in the far flung future. Yeah, this is like as as we're sort of like getting at here. This is like when it becomes so heavily involved with the mechanics and this plotting and everything, but also like still not fully, like we, we definitely get a more clear picture of what has sort of been alluded to over the course of the previous, you know, 15 issues. Yes. But we still don't get the full picture, um, but we do get something. But then also like, I don't know. It's just, it's so heavily involved with, the plotting while also not giving us everything <laughs> yes like you almost you want there to be an issue where it's like here's like the reveal issue where we tell you everything that's going on everything and now, is like, explained yeah and then you understand exactly like what the deal is and like we can proceed from there with the story to some extent but we yeah. don't get that we get the basic like lay of the land with the war and stuff 
but we don't get a full explanation of like who like what Joppo's role in all of this is um or like what exactly like we we still don't understand like the why basically yeah i mean we do so we've talked about basically what happens uh in the broadest strokes and aired some of our grievances what we haven't really talked about is some of the character stuff we do get because this chunk is very focused on tiffany in a lot of ways uh and the previous one i guess it would be kind of like the kj section that one yeah more or less we also another thing we didn't mention uh is that is it in this arc or the previous arc where we see kj it's in the previous arc that we see kj send the field hockey stick to the future aaron aaron sends it yeah to 2016 for herself to find yeah basically like only it but not because of any reason only because it's like a bill she knows that she yeah she she knows that she finds the field hockey stick so she when she sees the little folding sends the field hockey stick back yeah basically to ensure that she she gets uh they get to the same place that they were meant to be basically yes um but yeah so so the previous arc it does focus a lot on kj specifically but uh, like you said, when she touches this triangle thing, that she has this vision of her and Matt kissing and sort of starts to, like, think about her sexuality, I suppose. Then, like, so there, there's this one moment, actually, that I want to talk about where she she is, like, sort of wondering aloud to herself and is being like, why would I kiss a girl? And then at that moment, she is, like, discovered by the power button guys and then mm-hmm. discovers like the functionality of these boots that she has found, which are like super jumping boots. Mm-hmm. And so she jumps across this big chasm and then says, Oh, that's why. Is she talking about <laughs> her sexuality? And if so, like, what is the connection there? <laughs> like, do you, know, uh, do you remember the part that I'm talking I do, about? Yes, I do remember that part. I do remember having a similar thought or thinking that like I must have somehow misunderstood it. <laughs> It, it just really confused because it's like there are like i could read it in a few ways like i guess just because like maybe it's like oh oh it's because so when she says that she's like looking back over her shoulder at the like three guys chasing her and she's right. like oh right because men are dolts not yeah. actually but like basically <laughs> it's like right i don't like men i don't like these <laughs> men a lot <laughs> So that's why. Right. Okay, sure. Uh, (laughs) That just really confused me. But yes, uh, so this uh, this arc is definitely it's it's or that the previous arc that we were just talking about is very focused on KJ. But also like we don't really get much of a much internality about it because like she she tries to talk to Mac about it at some point and is sort of like rebuffed because like. Mac is, I guess, like, uh, she she's repressed in some way. Um, but yeah, so, like, we don't really get to see her have a conversation about it. And, like, what would that conversation even be, I guess, other than, like, I'm gay? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Tiffany, I think we do get, like, some more development. And I think, like, this is, it's similar to future Aaron, not future future Aaron, but future Aaron, twenty sixteen Aaron. Aaron. Yeah, where it's like where and what I what I do like about it is that like we get to sort of have that moment where she is meeting her future self, and it's like, and this is not what I 
what I expected it to be or like maybe not not what I wanted it to be, but certainly not what she would have expected or like chosen for herself. And and also I guess wanted because there's stuff about how she ends up going to a business school when she wanted to be an engineer. And so mm-hmm. like there there is some I think that is more the juice in terms of the character stuff is that those interactions right style wise there's no thought bubbles there's no narration boxes so this is in some ways the same issue that we ran into a little bit in the private eye where when pi had his portentous dream (laughs) um we were we were talking about how like that's kind of revelatory and kj also has a portentous dream at the beginning of the this chunk of issues that is similarly kind of revelatory into her mindset but because the as vaughn often does narration and uh, thought bubbles are completely foregone we're left to only infer what is like can be communicated through the characters faces and what is told to us through dialogue basically and because, like, yeah, it, it, KJ, we see kind of, like, wrestling with it a little bit. We see her, like, kind of talk to Mac about it at one point when they're talking to Charlotte. But when Tiffany has, like, 2000 Tiffany to sort of, like, it's it's the same thing with Aaron. Um, when there's the, like, older self to talk to and interact with, uh it, it's just much easier to communicate sort of what those characters are thinking about and feeling than when you have like Tiffany or KJ rather is very much sort of like in her own head at after like seeing the vision and doesn't really want to talk about it, um, which it, it is telling in its own way. But um, yeah, it's kind of it's the the information that's being communicated is very sort of like subtle and nuanced in a way and it's difficult to just communicate that exclusively through visuals right and i think like i think one of the reasons that that stuff like the aaron stuff and then now this tiffany stuff i think what is strong about it is that it does tie back into those themes of like intergenerational communication and also like nostalgia like the idea that these present day characters, you know, in their own times are sort of like being confronted with it's, it's, you know, the classic, like, if you met your kid self, like, would your kid self be proud of you? Or like, what would you tell your younger self? And it's like to, to literalize those interactions, I think is like, is a great idea and works really well. And so I think that that is like sort of where the juice is that it's like, you're confronting because you know again like this is written by adults so it's written by adults coming from the perspective of like thinking back on their own childhood i would imagine and so like yeah it's it's having those interactions and like thinking about that nostalgia and the ways that you know nostalgia can obviously color your like perception of the past and you know you're sort of thinking about like the way that you wanted your life to turn out versus how your life actually turned out I think that's all really strong stuff. And like I said, like I think that's where like the strength of the book lies um in from from that perspective. And then with the KJ stuff, there is also that part that uh where Mac <laughs> Mac suggests that perhaps Aaron or uh, KJ rather has been replaced by an evil clone <laughs> because she mentioned being gay. Yes. Which is like sure. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean Max homophobia has been on display throughout 
Uh, and of course, I guess, so she doesn't know that KJ saw herself kissing her, right? Is that correct? correct? So only KJ knows that. And all she told Mac... Wait, when did she tell Mac that, though? <laughs> she tells Mac... I don't think she tells Mac Because she, she... she doesn't say anything to Mac until until they're with Charlotte. But then that's when Mac talks to Aaron and is like, I think that yes, yes. KJ's been replaced by a clone, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's the timeline. And and the because what KJ says after that whole encounter is like, I had these visions of the future, but they can't possibly be true. Um, and then, and then later, like, because one of her visions was of Dr. Bronstein, then she's like, this is just like my vision. Or like, she, when they meet her, she says like, this is from my vision. And they're like, wait a minute. I thought you said those were wrong. Um, but yeah, so we don't, I don't think she reveals any details about what she sees because we didn't, we didn't really talk about like some of the other things she sees, which is, uh, one of them is Dr. Bronstein telling them to run, which happens at the end of that arc. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a part that's just Tiffany saying no, I think. Maybe the most, like, telling or the most, like, you know, indicative of future plot is uh, the grandfather saying, I'm so sorry. And, like, he, it's like, he is pointing a gun at someone. And then also, like, Aaron is standing next to him. It's not clear whether, like, as an ally or as a hostage. We don't get the context behind that. Mm-hmm. But that is, like, that's, that's, the, that's the plot <laughs> indicator, I guess. And then this Mac and KG kissing, which is, I think, uh, in the future is how it's depicted. It does certainly appear to be in the future, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what, do we, what else is there to talk about uh, with this chunk of issues? Did we... So I know, I recall last time we talked uh, a fair bit about the age of the girls and comparing them favorably with the depiction of Molly. I, I can't recall, did we talk about the all-female slash primarily female cast before we did talk about it a little bit um and sort of i i I think that i like that and we talked a little bit sort of like about the idea of like that's vaughn writing this and that he is depicting this and like the the like taking on the challenge of depicting like a diverse cast of young women is like an interesting choice by him and sort of that there are pros and cons to that perhaps um, but what 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 were your feelings on that? Oh, I was mostly curious about it because I did read uh, a th- an interview with him where he talked about enjoying writing female characters or possibly even preferring to write female characters and talked about writing runaways and uh, having that being, you know, more women in the in that group than men. And then obviously why is primarily women uh uh, just by you know the nature of the whole plot hook, and I was thinking about it because I recently edited uh, our last Y episode in which we talked about how he had kind of struggled with writing women at times, and that he did tend to write it with like a very obviously male sort of lens, and I feel like that's something that has improved here by and large yeah I, I think maybe one of the one of the benefits of writing like children rather than writing like adults is that like maybe the voice is a little bit more like there's there's less delineation maybe between the voice mm-hmm. of like uh, a young boy versus a young girl especially like 
young girls who you would probably say are like a bit tomboyish versus like having like an adult woman versus an adult man. I think the perspectives are more are more differing there. We brought it up because because this is the he's not collaborating with a female artist is the other thing right. that is interesting about That's it. That's right. Whereas like you would normally think that um like having a female voice in there would maybe lend itself better because like the one thing i always think about is with like halloween that movie um john carpenter's partner deborah hill his partner at the time like she was allegedly responsible for like a lot of the dialogue between the teenage girls and things like that and just being able to like provide that differing perspective is part of like what made that movie so good in terms of like capturing right. that. Cause I am curious about like who or if he consulted on like, for example, in this chunk of issues, uh, KJ gets her period for the first time, I believe. And there's some discussion of that between her and Mac. And I was kind of like, I, I don't know. I guess I didn't really have strong feelings one way or the other, but I was kind of like, I wonder what a woman reading this like would think about this, how closely or if this at all reflects kind of like the classic experience, how much these like conversations take place where Mac having been like Catholic educated is really kind of like in the dark about what this even means, just like biologically or what to expect and and like i feel like i've already brought up are you there god it's me margaret for some reason uh it's one of your favorite it is a touch a culture cultural touch point for me certainly this is i don't know i guess i did kind of read it and was like to me a man this does feel kind of like it was written by a man who read are you there god it's me margaret and then was like this is what it's like when uh you know pubescent girls like talk to each other about their periods yeah it's also something it's something that also i think that we see a lot where like a girl having her period like whether it's for the first time whatever like that becomes like a plot point right which is just like always feels a little weird to me like obviously like in are you there god it's be margaret like that makes perfect sense because that's like what the book is about and i suppose that this is what that's what this book is about as well like the idea of like young women sort of like entering this age of maturity and like dealing with obviously being thrown into a very difficult situation and sort of trying Mm -hmm. to work their way through that so i suppose it's on brand to some extent it does feel a little bit not not shoehorned in but it's like you know like well let's just have this in there as well like that's something that they can get up to and like that they can have a conversation about and i think again that not to re reharp on the same points, but I think again, like if that's happening at school and that like is a point of discussion between them, like alongside something else happening, then I think that makes a lot more sense or like make me like it feels a lot more natural than they are having this conversation in 11,000 BC, like while they have been like washed down a river and are like trying to recover and things like that. Like right. they're so because they are so like their situation is so like dictated by the mechanics of the plot that it does feel a little weird for them to like have a normal conversation when like like not to be like this is realistic but like surely if you were in that situation like 99 percent of your conversation would be predicated on like what are we going to do like what's our plan here like what's going on 
Yeah, I, I do think it has a certain amount of like value in terms of Max characterization and sort of showcasing the extent to which like, yes, like she has been sort of on display for her homophobia basically since like the first issue she has always been like very clear that you know the idea of homosexuality makes her uncomfortable etc etc dropping those slurs but we get sort of like the I guess the flip side here where we see the extent to which she has like been restricted in terms of like what she knows and understands about her own body, her own sexuality, and that there is like a certain level of curiosity there, uh, as, as would be natural that like, she just doesn't really have an outlet for. And so we can see like, sort of, I guess, through, through that scene, which does take place, I think after we've seen the kiss, um, it, it sort of, lays out the path in some ways of how we get from like the Mac that we meet in issue one to the Mac who we see in the vision. Yeah. And it's like, I, I definitely, I like that it's in there. Like, I think it, I like the scene. I like that it's in there. Like, I do think that I like to see like those kinds of conversations happening in the book. And it's like, I, I wish that there was more of that because that is what I really like, what I enjoy about the book and what I think it does really well. And, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is because I think that I think for most people and, you know, write in and tell us your thoughts. I think for most people that the appeal of this book is in those moments and in like, and I think that's true of a lot of his books. Like I think for why, like a lot of people enjoyed the, the conversations that would come up in why, like there's a lot of philosophical discussions about like, you know, about, male and female inter interactions and also like about a lot of other stuff like obviously a lot of different political and (laughs) social and philosophical ramifications of like the central plot of that book whereas this one the the conversation i think maybe one of the things is that the conversations often feel divorced from the the plot mechanics of the book and it's like is that and i guess like to some extent it's like yeah that is what the book is about like about like coming of age and things like that but i think maybe that's why i like the the Aaron and the Tiffany stuff a lot is because like i like the conversations i like that like this idea and it also feels very in keeping of a book that is about time travel and about like sort of like reviewing your life <laughs> like all of this stuff because like 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 I think a really great moment in this arc that we're talking about now is like the conversation between the two Tiffany's where like she sort of is saying like she's like I don't hate my life but it does feel like everything like took a wrong turn at some point which is like which is a very nuanced and interesting perspective on things where it's like like I'm not totally unhappy with my life but I do feel like it like it should have gone differently and having that conversation with like your younger self who still holds those like aspirations and dreams, I think is like a very cool way to, to execute on that idea. Oh, and what more can we do? So I don't know anything more to say about this, uh, this stretch. Um, what do we think about the robots? They kind of have like, they're, they're very organic. Like, well, okay. So (laughs) (laughs) buckle in. I've got 20 minutes on the robots. I was thinking about this a little bit because they talk about it in the book where, 
grandfather and the old timers robots look very classic sort of like gundam you know they're not even i guess transformer would be more the way to put it yeah like they're more very 80s conception of like what a giant robot would look like very blocky the teenagers giant robots are more like you know they're very sleek yeah they're very organic looking and they say in the comic like we can't go toe-to-toe with their robots because their weapons are like (laughs) you know 50,000 however many thousand like 55,000 65,000 years more advanced than ours I like the robots. I think they're cool. And I'm like, how is this even a war? Like, <laughs> how, how it is. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> just got so good. How does the faction from 70,000 AD not have weapons that are so much more advanced that it's just like every single time they encounter one of the old timers, it's not just like boop press my button and they're like deleted from existence (laughs) well i think i think the main thing is that like the teenagers are like a ragtag group of like gorillas and so it's like it's like the entire military might of like you know a i don't know what we don't know exactly what they are but like 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 they could be countercultural even in their own time like they're not necessarily allowed to just be like you know gallivanting through history yeah oh i think that's definitely the case like i think i mean like they are like i guess not all of them are young but a lot of them do appear to be young the teenagers um and so i do think that there's like a guerrilla element to that where it's like these are maybe like cobbled together whereas the the old timers have like the full financial backing of their time period Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And it is sort of like uh, Dune-esque in terms, at least in the book, like they frequently talk about how like nukes are still like the thing. Right. That's like that's (laughs) they have like all these rules about it where it's like you can't nuke like anywhere where a living thing is basically. But it's like the nuclear option is always there. And it's like, I guess it's not inconceivable that like the nuke is the most destructive weapon that we ever think of and like the old timers also have the nuclear option that they talk well well, they i assume it's actually nukes they refer to it several times as like the nuclear option oh yeah they Um, they, he he they describe it very directly as a tactical nuke right um so i yeah i guess it kind of makes sense in a way that like maybe like the nuke is ever as big as it gets and like they have the robots which are much more advanced in terms of like what the robot is capable of doing but in terms of like their weapons that are like on the robot or that the robot uses or whatever like you know they have a certain craftsmanship advantage but it's not like they've got like a silver bullet weapon that's just like we the old timers have no comparable weapon and no defense against it yeah the robots also seem to do a lot of punching yeah, the robots do seem to do a lot of punching. I gotta say, like... <laughs> you want to talk about robots punching? Because I can talk about Pacific Rim. I was thinking real steel, but... Um... <laughs> no, I what I was more thinking about is, like, the whole, I guess, like, logistics of the war. So the old-timers are, like, so committed to not messing up the timeline. But they're, like... it's It's just weird, 
like the the girls at one point make a reference to Dr. Bronstein having like a prime directive. And that's basically what the old timers also have in terms of like the whole reason that they're fighting the war is to not alter the course of history. But like <laughs> they they have said very explicitly, like if someone dies, we have no way of reversing it. And the best thing we can think to do is take these giant robots, which can be hidden from view, but still like are physically present and there and everything they do, like, you know, if they kill somebody, that person's dead. And we just like make them invisible and then have them like duke it out in a population center. (laughs) I'm like, this is the best option you've got as far as like prevention or like deterrence from time travel is that like you better not come back or else we'll become like we'll have a knockdown drag out fight in the middle of a city that like almost assuredly will lead to someone dying yeah and i guess like that gets back to the idea that it's like we don't know what the goal is uh like like so it's like presumably they bring robots because the teenagers have robots because the teenagers are sort of like they have the agency here where it's like they're the ones who are going back and trying to change things. And, you know, I, I so maybe this is a good time to sort of pivot to this discussion, which is sort of looking ahead and we can look back uh, next episode and see how right or wrong we are. It does feel to me to some extent that we are like gearing towards a twist where it's like people basically like, the, like everyone's motivations are not right. what they said they were. Actually, and the teenagers are bad. Either blah, that, blah, yeah, blah. either that the teenagers are the bad guys, or that like everyone is bad, and like everyone has like nefarious motivations because like we know so little about the teenagers, and we have only ever really gotten like this like secondhand confirmation that like they are the good guys, and that like you know like we've seen individuals exhibit good behavior, but we still don't know. Like the fact that we still don't know their like overall motivation i feel like that reveal is going to be like something that will suggest that they are less friendly than they first appeared yes i uh tend to agree i think we are primed for a vanian reveal of some kind it seems like there's so much that still needs to be revealed first before there can be a twist (laughs) you know what i mean like we have always gotten like two perspectives on things where like we haven't seen the old timers do anything like bad per se or at least nothing worse than anything the teenagers do and they obviously believe the teenagers are bad but charlotte is like no they're just misunderstood and we've also seen the teenagers like help aaron um and like do you know do lots of good things um but yeah, it it just like the whole nature of the conflict, it feels like there's some sort of revelation that is still like coming down the pike and like the whole like, like grandfather's whole organization, I'm still sort of like confused about the nature of, I feel like there's, I, I don't know, now that they're in the far flung future, I anticipate lots of revelations. Yeah, and exactly. Like, I think the fact that they are now in the time period where the teenagers originated from means it'll be like much more likely that we're going to get information about how exactly like all of this shakes out and you know maybe they'll isn't like there's isn't there a scene where like Aaron future not future future Aaron but future Aaron goes on like wikipedia on like the iRobot 
um, and is like looking stuff up, I feel like that we'll like have a moment like that where it's like mm-hmm. Wikipedia says this, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so we'll we'll see how that ends up. But I, I know I know what you're saying, where it's like it is very strange, and even like the whole pterodactyl rider thing. Like, how did that come about? And also like are these the people who are supposed to be dedicated to, like, not changing things and they have, like, stolen animals from the past? Right. Uh, which, well, and, like, even, like, Joppo, grandfather is, like, a caveman. <laughs> yeah. And they have, they've kind of poo-pooed that a few times where um, there's one part where, when they're talking about, like, talking about using the nuke, they they sort of are like, well, like, this really won't, like, make that big of an impact on, like, the whole timeline even if we like nuke a city right. and then there's a similar thing where it's like we don't want the baby to die because it could be someone's ancestor right they also like whatever <laughs> so like i don't think they are like deeply concerned with that and i think again it's sort of a situation where the rules can bend a little bit to serve the function of the story yeah and i wonder if like possibly we'll see like that that is somehow related to sort of like the origin of the grandfather and company like organization is that Dr. Bronstein was like, well, I guess she was, she was also like preaching non-interference, but, and, and then did interfere. So maybe never mind. (laughs) I was like, if, if she was convinced that they needed to like interfere to save that kid, because even even though they didn't know what was like supposed to happen but she was convinced so uh, now i'm coming back around so she's been <laughs> to the past she's seen that like time travel careless time travel like totally beeps the timeline it's like messes everything up if these cave people like worship apple and are being like directed by people from the future so if she somehow survives and then is like or or like yeah if she survives and then is somehow involved in like knowing Joppo as a child or anything like that the the idea of her like instilling in him this idea of like it's important that like the past is allowed to like remain in its sort of like natural state time travel can't be allowed to like sort of lead to this exact sort of situation that you are you are in and then he ends up being like in charge of this whole time travel I guess organization it makes it you can see where that potential like involvement of the paper girls at that point is like somehow linked to the whole like establishment that subsequently leads to the war. I guess that's kind of the reveal that I'm anticipating something along those lines. So that like they, they somehow like caused the war and also are going to end it. Right. Yeah. I haven't even really considered that the, the old timers are like a sort of time police, which maybe, uh, Maybe we'll discuss that further in a future episode. <laughs> Maybe we will. <laughs> I truly had not thought about that. Um, Neither. <laughs> but that's uh, that'll remain a a mysterious, portentous dream, if you will, of the future. Um, but yeah, I feel like we're we're coming towards the end here. Do you have anything that you want to uh, to discuss? Have you brought anything to the table? Uh, I don't think so. As I said in the last episode, we've talked about the awards and all that a million times. Uh, I think these issues all come out in like late 2017 and 18. Yeah, February 2017 to February yes. 2018. And something that I, something also just that I came across while reading uh, during the episode 
was that like they they were they were split into five issue chunks and like they would take like a three month hiatus between so it was like pretty clearly delineated at the time as well if only if only yeah um awards wise matt wilson won the eisner for best colorist in 2019 which would have included for work in 2018 including some of these issues that's like kind of neither here nor there the full list of what he was coloring at the time is black cloud paper girls the wicked and the divine the mighty thor and runaways so there's some high profile projects in there in terms of like wick div as the fans call it uh mighty thor and runaways are all also like big projects that he was doing great work on so certainly in part uh for paper girls but uh part of his whole sort of body of work at that time and there were no other awards for anyone else on the creative team for the work uh in this period i think we've talked already about the 2017 but that's before or after all this stuff anyways so that's neither here nor there sales wise it's doing fine uh number 15 which is the halfway point roughly of this chunk of issues sold 26,654 units uh which is you know solid respectable for an indie series like numbers yeah outsold like aquaman black bolt daredevil others so you know not not nothing um certainly enough to sustain an indie series but it's like you know it's always kind of been in the shadow of saga in terms of uh its popularity and its significance in sort of the marketplace out of curiosity what's saga doing this month no issue out, but Saga Volume 7, 2949 units. Saga Volume 1, still pulling in <laughs> over 2,000 units this month, like five years after it debuted, six years after it debuted. So, uh, yeah, definitely Saga is still kind of the, the, the book to watch from him, and this is just sort of gravy for Vaughn fans. Yeah, it is. It's interesting to me. I mean, like, <laughs> this is not a very like an, a unique thing to Brian K. Vaughn or to comics or anything, but like just the idea that like especially when they're both because they're both image right yeah that that like two two comics like I would make sense if like he was like you know he was writing Batman at the same time like that was like hugely popular, but just the idea that it's like he's writing two comics at the same time, um like with the same publisher. And one is, like, one of, like, the most popular comics, like, in, you know, certainly in, like, the non-Big 2 world. And then you have Paper Girls just kind of, like, just chilling. I guess it's still successful, but, like, it just is interesting to me the way that, like, one book can sort of, like, capture capture the hearts of millions in that way. Especially when, like, they sort of are on similar, like, genre and, like, thematic ground to some extent. Yes, certainly. And it's, like, to an extent, so... In the month that number 20 comes out, uh, which is the last issue we covered today, Saga number 49 is also out. It sells just under 40,000 units, so not quite doubling up on what Paper Girls number 20 does. So it's not like it's like, like yeah, selling twice the number is impressive, and like it's still under 40,000 units. Like It's being outsold by plenty of big two material here, but... 
It's got like Saga Volume 8 is the number one trade. Saga Volume 1 is number one. There's another, let's see, one, two, three, four, five volumes of Saga on top of that that are all in the top 100 graphic novels, uh, according to Comicron's numbers. So it's not even like about really like Saga's doing so much like on a, you know, a month to month basis, but it's the fact that like, in a given month, like one issue of Saga comes out, but eight volumes of the trade paperback are like hanging around, right. continuing to be huge sellers. Saga Volume One is like a top fifteen book for like, you know, the like sixtieth consecutive month. Right. That's like really where the impact is being felt, which has always kind of been his thing as far as like the big numbers are in the trades. Yeah. Um I am curious about what Paper Girls is doing in trade, so I'm going to look at that quickly. It's just so, it's straight, like, I mean, like, and it's like, again, like, I don't think either of us hated Saga, like, we had some really enjoyable times of Saga, even though we might have veered towards the negative with it, but it's just crazy to me that it's like, that, like, this is the one, (laughs) like, that this is the one that, like, became, like, the populist, like... It's the hit, yeah. Yeah, like, the mega hit that like everyone reads because it's like i don't know they're just there aren't really and i guess maybe it is the vaughnian thing and maybe i almost feel like you could chart a connection between the vaughn style or and between saga especially and like game of thrones because they have the same moments where like (laughs) where the the end of an episode or the end of a chapter or something like that like where it will be like that like crazy moment that like not not even like a cliffhanger or a twist necessarily, but it's like, whoa, like that thing happened. That's so crazy. Yeah. And like, that's like kind of the same time, right? Like early 2010s. Right. Like, I feel like that yeah. was like a big thing within <laughs> within media at that time. That, and For sure. that's what people are latching it, onto. So it was something that we talked about in the first Saga episode, which was that Saga gets compared to Game of Thrones like all the oh, time right. in like, like you know like newspaper write-ups or like reviews or whatever it'll be like a sprawling epic in the like grand tradition of game of thrones and it's like a real head scratcher to me because i'm like in terms of like content themes setting like it's so far removed in terms of like what it's interested in doing what it's trying to do what it's focused on from game of thrones that i'm like why would you ever compare Saga to Game of Thrones? But it might be that people really are thinking like in terms of the TV show where it's all about like the cliffhanger or like the the like the shock value, the surprise, like the feeling that like anything can happen. And and just like the moment as well because like yeah. when people talk about you know, when people talk about that show, like especially the TV show, I mean like I I have memories of, like reading the books as well and having those moments like the moment with like the the unsullied like i have like a very like distinct sense memory of like reading that and like how like being like fired up in the same way that you would be like watching a movie or tv show that was like a very like seminal experience with those books um and i never watched the tv show i don't think you ever watched the tv show i watched like a couple seasons right yeah i think i might have watched the first season but yeah i think maybe that is like that the idea of like having these like moments that stick in your mind and like sort of have that like epic quality to them. I think that mm-hmm. is maybe what people are latching onto. Yeah. I think though, like, I guess kind of what's different between 
Game of Thrones and Saga is that like now, and I mean, Game of Thrones is over, whereas Saga like went on a hiatus, but was always supposed to come back. But I feel like right now, nobody's like just getting into Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? Nobody's like, I'm interested in getting into like TV. (laughs) What should I, (laughs) what should I watch? And people are like, oh, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones. But but isn't, but don't you think that is true though? Like in the same way that people will like still like default back to Breaking Bad. Like, don't you think there are like teenagers or whoever who are just like, will Google like best TV shows and like Game of Thrones will come up. And so they'll watch Game of Thrones. I think that maybe I, I, I do think that like, the the final season and the like broad yeah, disappointment with it probably part of it as well has like tanked the legacy um in terms of like people deciding that it's worth it but like certainly in the short term yeah yeah like i'm looking at sales numbers for october 2021 now on comicron which is like it's like early projections like there's nothing set in stone here but like you know top 15 uh in terms of like sales anticipated sales Saga Compendium Volume 1 is number 15, uh, or number 11, depending who you ask. Saga Deluxe Edition number 1 in that list comes in at 15. Like, it's still, it's still, still pulling chugging. weight, even after, like, a long hiatus where it was starting to get, like, I don't think it was ever really uncertain amongst, like, people in the know about whether it, coming, it was coming back or not. Um, and, of course, we have, uh, I'm sure, already trumpeted to the high heavens uh with our saga release about how we were recording the episode where we talk at length about whether or not the hiatus would end anytime soon and as we were having that discussion they tweeted out that it was coming back uh, yes truly truly as we were actively recording i don't know have we have we talked about this i i don't think like I, i tweeted about it on the day that it was happening that we had like just finished recording talking about the hiatus but yeah it was literally like we finished the record ended the zoom call i looked at my phone and the like google notification was like saga returns january 2022 and i was like Oh, <laughs> like, what the? <laughs> that is truly, like, one of the craziest things. Because, like, you know, like, we, we have, and we've talked about this before, how, like, we have a very long lead time on these episodes, usually. Yes. And so, like, it, it is, like, very fair that something would happen in, like, the eight weeks between, like, when we totally. record something and when it comes out. But for it to be happening literally as we were recording the episode was... <laughs> Just a truly uh, a painful, but also a very funny experience. It was it was quite funny, but yeah. So yeah, it it is like the relationship between this book and Saga is a funny one. I'm sure we'll talk about it more when we finish the next episode and and are doing like our Vaughn rankings. But it is like yeah, I don't know this this a book feels like it has a lot of the problems that we have consistently identified. And a lot of the strengths, but for whatever reason, like in terms of Vaughn's larger bibliography, but I'm not sure what exactly it is about this book that like they don't, for whatever reason, like the, the magic just like isn't enough to sort of like paper over when it struggles. So to speak. So to speak. Yeah. Uh, You know, Vaughn's not a paper guy necessarily, a paper boy. Um, And I can't, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we, we can try and maybe suss it out a bit more clearly when we're finished and maybe who knows maybe the ending will completely change our perspective on it um but i can't really figure out why 
that is. Yeah, I mean, like, and it, to some extent, like, I think we felt the same way about Saga as well. And I don't know, but is it a case of, I, I mean, like, the setting, I think the main thing is that, like, the setting and the, to some extent, the plotting, like, more more the, the actual, like, beats of the plot than, like, the overall narrative, that has never been the big, like, selling point for me with Vaughn's books, I don't think. No, like, definitely not. Even though, like, I would say that, as we kind of talked about in the Y episodes, like, I think he does benefit from having a very, like, propulsive style and have from having a lot of, like, forward momentum and from, like, keeping the reader interested in the plot. But it's like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It is that balance that he strikes better on a book like Y, where it's like, in any given issue, the part I might enjoy the most is the character work but the thing that makes me want to pick up the next issue is whatever happens in like the last three pages that is surprising or a cliffhanger or um you know takes takes things in an unexpected direction that then i'm like oh well now i need to know what happens next yeah and i think that i think both y and ex machina greatly benefit from having a mystery that is like very compelling even though yeah. why i think we say like quite early on in those like recordings where it's like i can't like i don't think that this is something that is going to be resolved in like a, a quote-unquote satisfying way in terms of having an explanation right. but having and, and neither does ex machina really that's true and but like having that like having that as sort of like an end goal like the 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 end game i think was always very easy to see even if we didn't know like exactly what it was going to look like we we're like well like at some point like they're going to get like an explanation even though it might be like an unclear explanation right and, like they are going to like have a sort of like final showdown with like some source of this <laughs> of all of this when both y and x machina whereas like with this i think it is more opaque like i don't know what the last like the climax of paper girls is going to look like right uh, partly because like i still just don't feel like i have enough information and whereas it's like and uh, well yeah i was was just gonna say that like I, i even like i feel like what you said about like y and x machina have a compelling mystery and i do feel like the big weakness of Paper Girls is that the mystery is not that compelling. And, like, the reveal of, like, Grandfather is Joppo, like, is probably the best sort of, like, plot-oriented thing that has happened so far. But the reaction that I had to it was like, oh, interesting. I was kind of like, now I'm maybe, like, kind of starting to get invested in this book that is over halfway finished. Uh, not And not the book, but, like, the overarching plot that in theory is, like, you know how you would elevator pitch this, how you would sort of sell it is like, oh, you know, it's this sci-fi epic about blah, 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 blah. Like that, that whole plot piece of it, it's like issue 18 or 19. And I'm only just now kind of starting to get interested. Whereas like, because I just like, as I said in the, in the last episode, like I just don't really care about like who grandfather is that much. I have no, investment in grandfather i have no investment in like the war which like even though it is like the driver of all of the action that has been happening in the book it seems so like that the extent to which the girls are like a passive force in it that's is like 
so and and it's I have a hard time comparing it with Saga, where it's like the whole point of that book also is that they're like a passive force in it, but it's just so much clearer why people care about <laughs> the like the leads in Saga. Even though it's kind of like, I think we expressed a few times a little bit of confusion about like, what exactly is like the plan once they get their hands on Hazel? Like that's, that's not necessarily clear, but at least we understand like, they really want to get their hands on Hazel and we kind of have a grasp on why. Whereas like, I'm not even clear like if people are looking for the girls, but I'm kind of like, well, they must be because that, that weird like Aaron clone was running around, but like grandfather doesn't seem like all that interested in finding them specifically at least like young grandfather doesn't and like it's been so long since we saw old grandfather talking about him that i can't again i can't even remember like is he interested in them i seem to recall the teenagers talking about they like have an immunity to like some negative effect of time travel or something like that. Yeah, I think think that's a very good point about, like, the way that they are divorced from the narrative, Um, which, like, and, you know, I'm sure that there will probably be a reveal that they are, in fact, not divorced from the narrative, that they're important in some way. But, like, even in Saga, where, like you said, like, they are not the, the active role in that book, they are still very much, like, the focus of the narrative, like, like, there's still a huge amount of that book that is about people like hunting for them, people looking for them, people doing things related to them. Yeah. And and that we understand like who and basically why. Yeah. And then in why it's like, well, obviously like he has tremendous importance to the plot. Like he is like mm-hmm. very inherently like wrapped up in the book's premise. And then Ex Machina, like there's the same thing where it's like he is important to the plot because he to some extent like He's the main the character. Yeah. It's shocker, yeah. the main character is important to the plot, except, yeah, like we're saying, like in this book, the importance that they have to the plot isn't necessarily always very clear. And like even the, it, it's just hard to get on board where it's like, clearly they do have some kind of importance, but we don't understand what it is. But because we sort of like infer that they do, it's hard to even get invested in the general thrust of like, we're just trying to find like our way back home or like back to our time. Like I kind of forget sometimes that that's like their objective because they also get sidetracked on these things that are like, well, we need to go like save this caveman baby. <laughs> it's like, do you, uh, like I not, I'm not, <laughs> that's maybe a bad, that's, that's not necessarily a good example to bring up because like, whoa, like crazy. They have like empathy for another human being and don't want to see a baby get murdered. Like, yeah, that makes sense. But they just do often allow themselves to kind of, it feels like get sort of sidetracked in a way where it's like, are you trying to get back home? I know that you are, but also like, it's been made clear so many times that you have like a larger role but also I have no clue what that role is. Yeah, I think that is a big part of it. And also that like, I mean, maybe this is a, a little further field because I don't think that's, well, maybe Saga does. Like, I think the idea of having like the book, having a clear log line and like, like, cause like why is like the ultimate example of that where it's like mm-hmm. a virus has wiped out all men and he's the last man on earth. And like you, like you maybe don't know right away what the book is about because like Mm -hmm. it is a very crazy book that like takes that premise in a lot of different directions but like you you immediately understand why that's interesting right and then 
And then it's like, he's a mayor with superpowers. He's the mayor of New York City and he has superpowers. And he stopped 9-11. Yeah. And or or like, like, like the, I remember on like the internet message boards around the time, the, the like elevator pitch was like West Wing with superpowers. And it's sure. like, wow, I immediately have like such a clear vision of like what you're talking about. And it's like exactly what it is. It's like such a succinct description of like what happens in a like general like arc to arc basis of ex machina yeah that one is like even more clear about like because like it is like exactly what it says it is more or less and it's like saga like it's a little less clear and there's like a, it like gets a little more woolly but it's like at, at the center of it, it's like it's like a space opera love story to some extent and it's like or like you know like it's a space opera family uh, or right. like that kind of basic idea i think that is what attracts people to the book and so and like Especially, like, the idea that it's that combination of elements, yeah. I think, attracts people to the book. Whereas this is, like, it's a time travel... But it's, like, what is, like, what is it other than, like, a time traveling? Because, like, right. yes, the main characters are, like, young women. It is, like, I guess, like, a coming-of-age story to some extent. But then it's, like, I don't know. I think I think, like, now the pitch would basically be literally just, like, Stranger Things but Girls. Yeah, uh, or like time traveling, Stranger Things. Yeah, but like at the time that it came out, where like Stranger Things hasn't come out, it's not in the vernacular. It's like harder to sell. It's like, it's like uh, Back to the Future meets the Goonies, but they're all girls, uh, and, and it's not really like any of those things. <laughs> and I feel like the the premise, like the selling point, and like the way the thing that people respond to in the book is like is so predicated on that 80s nostalgia idea which is just like not in the book like that's not what the book is about because no it's because, not. like they're not in the 80s most of the time and like yeah to some extent like the sort of like wisecracking 80s kids is like a big part of it but it's like right because like if you think about back to the future like he's not really in the 80s for most of that either but people watch it because it has like an 80s feel to it because it's like an 80s lens on the 50s but it's not like (laughs) we didn't get like the 80s lens on 11,000 bc yeah and it's also like and it's also like the reason that it's an 80s lens on the 50s is because it was made in the 80s so it's not like so this is like it becomes like a 2010s lens on the 80s on whatever and it's like you said it's not really that and it's not really it i think it it tries to be or like it's it's certainly getting at ideas of being like a 2010s lens on the 80s because i think it is in many ways like it's vaughn writing about his childhood and like reflecting on his childhood and getting into like the idea of 80s nostalgia like i would love to see the book explore that idea more because that already was such a hugely prevalent like part of pop culture at the time that the book was coming out and i would love to see him like tackle the sort of like general concept of 80s nostalgia more which is again like why i would rather see the book be set in the 80s right and like go from there rather than having it be so disparate yeah and it also feels like again to like sort of reference what uh emilio was talking about where vaughn has this thing where like when his books come out they're like so now and then as soon as you get like any removed from them at all they feel like instantly dated in some ways and i feel like unfortunately this this like the obvious comparison with stranger things now is kind of like to the detriment where like stranger things was like the all the hotness 
in like 2016 (laughs) and now people are kind of like over it and like there's been a bit of like pushback against it and like the whole like 80s nostalgia period is sort of like coming to a close and like just in like sort of the cycle of culture we're now getting more into like the 90s and even like the 2000s in terms of like the the era that is most sort of like prevalent in in pop culture and that people are most sort of like focusing that same sort of interest on so now to have it be like oh it's like another like it's a classic 80s type like adventure story again people are like it it suffers from being too ahead of its time where people are like oh like again (laughs) it's like well yeah but when it came out like we weren't tired of it yet (laughs) like it was it was kind of a fresh idea when it came out but now again unfortunately like time is its biggest enemy in some ways quite ironic if you think about it that's so true king um and like i think that i think that also like an issue with it is that like it doesn't really deliver on that premise it that like it ultimately is not like an 80s adventure in this in the way that stranger things is where it's like right this is mostly about like uh like <laughs> it's mostly about an intergenerational time war right because like as much as like in terms of the like broad 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 culture the like 80s fascination is sort of over that like kind of thing will always have its audience like oh, you'll yeah. always have the people who like the same the same people who are going to see like ghostbusters afterlife uh, would also still be into something like this because they like you know mostly people who were like around this age in the 80s have that kind of like built-in um 80s nostalgia and fortunately for them or for for von and uh and the team i guess they are also like the primary demographic that reads comic books um so you would think that like if it really delivered on that premise it would have more staying power with those people for whom like the 80s sort of like nostalgia vibe will always hold a certain amount of appeal uh, but you know as we as we said to sort of kick off this whole tangent like it is sort of just like stuck in the shadow of saga and like it didn't ever really like capture the imagination in that way yeah and i think like i mean i i do think that there are sort of there's an audience for the 80s nostalgia beyond just like kids of the 80s be- partly because 80s nostalgia like now sort of like creates its own nostalgia where like people are like getting into stranger things but also like because i think so many like seminal movies especially seminal kids movies came out in the 80s that like there will always be like some level of nostalgia for that aesthetic because it's like you know like we are not children of the 80s by any stretch of the imagination but it's like i still do like that aesthetic because like i really like (laughs) et like right and and there i think there's an element of it too that it's sort of like the last like truly like pre-internet pre-cell phone sort of like era that that gives it uh, there's a simplicity to it yeah that that i think vaughn is kind of as you're saying kind of trying to attack that perception um to the extent to which that's successful or effective you know is is maybe open to interpretation but like yeah i do think that it has that that sort of appeal as sort of like the last age of innocence um and sort of like the last time where you can really still feel modern while also foregoing so much of the things about like modern life that you know people find stressful or anxiety inducing or like dissatisfying yeah for sure um 
Well, I feel like we've we've wrung enough blood from this stone. Uh, We're past again. the two-hour mark, <laughs> yeah. so I can cut all that talk that we did at the beginning about uh, Crankshaft and the Beanomatic Winkerverse. Uh, <laughs> really, so we're in the should, clear. That should come up every episode. Also, I, I didn't mention it when we were talking about it, but I feel like my whenever I hear Funky Winker Bean, like my immediate... and Oh, I guess that's a that's Doonesbury, not Funky Winker Bean. But like, when I hear Funky Winker Bean, my immediate thought is like, yeah, like Vietnam or whatever. <laughs> like, I just automatically associate it with like Vietnam. Like, yeah, they were probably talking about Vietnam in that comic. But I think that I is think more they were Doonesbury. talking about Vietnam. Oh, I'm sure they were. I don't think Funky Winker Bean maybe existed at that time, but definitely Doonesbury. Like, isn't that like how it started? And then sort of is Doonesbury the one that like became conservative? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I feel like I have some kind of uh, some recollection of this comic that like started out as being like liberal and sort of became conservative but oh you know what it is that i think is possibly also causing some confusion i think that funky winker bean goes like all in on afghanistan at one point (laughs) (laughs) right well yes famously there's that ied oh yes of course wow wait this is very interesting that charles schultz called uh the guy who did Doonesbury Trudeau unprofessional for taking a long sabbatical and said the same thing about sabbaticals taken by Bill Watterson. Very interesting. Shots Uh, fired. And of course, Gary Trudeau said that uh, understanding comics is a remarkable new Bedecker for the tunes. So (laughs) who can forget? Uh, This podcast is a remarkable new (laughs) Bofides. For the ears. Yeah. Um, so that's going to do it for today. <laughs> next week, we'll be concluding, or next episode, I should say. I can't, can't always rely on these things to come out. But next episode... Hey, we're pretty consistent. We're pretty consistent at this point. Shout out to our... Also, like, shout out to our listeners, because we do have Truly. listeners, and they seem to enjoy this, so more Some power to Some people even you. listen to it, like, when it drops, like... <laughs> yeah. Like, I am kind of like, is that a bot? But so thank you so much if you are listening. Like we truly do appreciate you and you know, we 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 have such a good time knowing that there are people who are consuming this and hopefully enjoying it. So thank you for that. Um but next episode we'll be concluding our Brian K. Vaughn miniseries. Our you know, how long has it been now? Like fifteen, good, good. twenty, twenty apps? I think we're pushing twenty. Uh certainly I think yeah, we're, we're, we're in the 15 to 20 range. So thank you for sticking with us through that. Next episode, we will conclude Paper Girls. I think we'll probably discuss, uh, give a bit of a zoomed out perspective on Vaughn. And maybe we will announce uh, what we will be doing for our one-off and then for our next miniseries. <laughs> I think we definitely will be well, announcing yes. <laughs> both of those things. <laughs> okay, come on. All right, that is going to do it for us for this week. Uh, you, you can follow us at Got the Runs Pod on Twitter. Is that right? Yep, that's and correct. That's also the Gmail. Got the uh, Runs, got the runs pod. pod at gmail.com. That's correct. Yep, give us both of these stars on iTunes. <laughs> yes, give us a two star <laughs> review on Apple Podcasts um, and all of that sort of things. That but... episode where we first introduced that joke just came out. <laughs> Perfect. That'll make sense now. Uh, but of course, until next time, to, to be, be continued. <laughs> that one was particularly slow. It was quite slow, but you know what? We lined it right up. <laughs> Can't say the same for all of them. <laughs>